Hello everyone, welcome to Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for joining me today. I appreciate you all tuning in and listening. So if you've noticed my Thursday podcast, I've been off. One of my New Year's resolutions is to be more consistent with my podcasting on the day that I think I'm going to release them. But anyway, this is not (laughs) the year for that yet. So um, my Thursday one was supposed to be on the book of Matthew. And on Mondays, I am supposed to go over a new topic. However, I don't want to get more behind in my Bible study one. So this week on a Monday, we are doing our Bible study podcast. So we're going over the book of Matthew today. It was very, very good, very dense, a lot of good stuff. So depending on how long this is, I might split it up between a part one and part two. We'll just have to wait and see as I get talking how much depth I go into, but a lot, a lot happens in Matthew. So if you haven't read it recently or haven't read it all at all, I would highly recommend going back and rereading it because it tells the story of Jesus all the way from his birth, like before his birth, to his death and resurrection and, you know, the Great Commission telling everyone to go spread the news and things like that. So it is a great book and I would highly recommend. So we are going to go over the book of Matthew today. Let's get started. So like I said, the book of Matthew starts before the actual birth of Jesus. It doesn't get into a lot of like explaining who Jesus is, like, hey, this is the savior of the world, really. But you get to know it very, very quickly. But the first thing that Matthew 1 starts out with is the genealogy of Jesus. It says it goes from Abraham through David to Joseph. um, And then obviously Jesus is Joseph's son, um, but not biologically, which we will get into. Um, but it does specify that there's 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and then 14 from the exile to Messiah. And the nice thing about reading Matthew after you've just read the whole Old Testament is like, you actually know what, like for me, I usually read Matthew without having read the whole Old Testament right before. And I haven't really gotten the timeline of how everything goes down. And so now that I've read that whole thing, it makes way more sense to me where it's like, oh, there's 14 generations from Abraham to David, from David to the the exile, and from the exile to the Messiah, because it gives you a good kind of span of time. So that is how much time has passed between, or between, yeah, the Old Testament to this New Testament. Um, Okay, so Mary and Joseph are two people that were engaged. Now, they had both been very, very faithful to God, which is why they're being chosen to bring Jesus into the world. You can see that Joseph was very faithful to the law. He was like, they were both holy in God's eyes. So they were engaged and Mary found out she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So Joseph, being the good man that he is, didn't want to humiliate her. Obviously, your first thought is not this is from the Holy Spirit. She actually didn't sleep with any other man. So his first thought was like, obviously she did something very wrong, but he didn't want to embarrass her. So he was going to divorce her in quiet. And an angel came to him and said, 
hey, take Mary as your wife. It's from the Holy Spirit. Give him the name Jesus and he will save the people from their sins. So that's like our introduction to who Jesus is and what he's going to do. Then it says that Joseph did not consummate the marriage until after she gave birth. Now, I know this is like a very um, hot topic in Catholic circles, like the fact that Mary, they think that Mary was always a virgin, not just a virgin when Jesus was conceived. I don't agree with that, at least right now. Part of the reason why I started this podcast is because of this question. I was like, things like this question are, are why I want to explore these new topics and things like that. But there's so much information, so many things to read about why people think that Mary was forever a virgin. But just this sentence here, at least who knows translation wise, or might there's probably some theological reason why Catholics don't believe this. But the sentence she he did not consummate the marriage until after she gave birth suggests that once she gave birth, they did consummate the marriage, so she was not um, forever a virgin. So that'll be a podcast episode eventually. I'm hoping in this next year I finally get around to actually consolidating my ideas on it because. I just keep reading more and more stuff. Like every time I prepare for that podcast, I keep finding new information that people want me to read and stuff like that. So that is coming <laughs> this next year. Um, okay, Matthew 2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during King Herod's reign. And Magi came from the east into Jerusalem and were asking around, where is the one who has been born? He is king of the Jews. We saw his star uh, when it rose and have come to worship him. So in the different books of the Gospels, there's different sort of, you get more flavor into like these wise men or these magi, um, you know, what they actually saw, the shepherds. Uh, but for this one, they just said they showed up in Jerusalem and said, you know, where is his, uh, we saw his star, we're coming to worship him. Basically, where is he? So Herod heard that these people were asking for the king of the Jews and that the Messiah had come and he was very disturbed. So he actually asked the priests and the teachers just to confirm that if this was the Messiah, he said, you know, hey, priests, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And they said Bethlehem, which Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So he was like, oh no, I think this is the Messiah. So he went and told them to go find the child and said, come back and tell me when you find him because I would like to worship him. But it was a ploy because he really wanted to kill him. He wanted, Herod wanted to kill Jesus. So the Magi went and found him, but were warned in a dream to not tell Herod. And then an angel also told Joseph in a dream to get up and escape to Egypt because Herod was trying to kill Jesus. So Joseph was warned and they went up and fled to Egypt. And I like how in this book in particular, and I forget if they do this a lot in like the other gospels, but it says a lot of the times when a prophecy was fulfilled. So this is a prophecy was fulfilled by them going to Egypt because it says, out of Egypt, I called my son. And that was a prophecy about Jesus that was fulfilled. So Herod found out that he had been like outsmarted by um, Joseph and the Magi and all of that them. And so he just gave an order blatantly to kill all the boys in Bethlehem two years and younger because he did not know that they had already fled to Egypt. And so he figured if I kill everyone, then Jesus is bound to be in there and he's bound to die. 
So the prophecy is fulfilled in Jeremiah that said, A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So there was a big prophecy about all of this destruction um, around Jesus' birth. So then Herod died, and the Lord told him to go take the child to Israel. Um, but then there was a, a, rain, a king in Judea who also um, was not going to be friendly to Jesus. So he was warned in a dream to go to Galilee and lived in a town called Nazareth, which fulfilled another prophecy that Jesus, or the Messiah, would be called a Nazarene. So he actually grew up... Um, in Nazareth. Okay, Matthew 3 talks about John the Baptist. So um, if you're unfamiliar with like the story of, of Jesus, there was John the Baptist kind of came as a prophet and led the way before Jesus was there to kind of prepare the hearts of people before Jesus got there. And so a lot of people thought that maybe John the Baptist was the Messiah, but then he had to kind of say like, I'm not him. I'm just preparing a way for him. So a lot of Matthew 3 is about that. John the Baptist came preaching in the um, in the wilderness of Judah, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near." Um, John's clothes were made of camel's hair. Food was like all he ate was locusts and honey in the wilderness. And he started baptizing people in the Jordan. He started telling about Jesus and the kingdom of heaven, or not Jesus specifically, I guess, but like the fact that the Messiah was coming, and started baptizing people. He called out the Pharisees and the Sadducees because, remember, there's a lot of corruption happening in this time. Like, we'll see later that the temple was made to be just a marketplace. And there's a lot of corrupt things happening. So, um, John the Baptist called the Pharisees and Sadducees a brood of vipers. It says, he said that they produce fruit in keeping, or no, he, he called them to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He said, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So then he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee and met John the Baptist and got baptized by him, which is kind of confusing because it's like, wouldn't... Jesus be baptizing John, not John baptizing Jesus, which is exactly what John asked. He said, like, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. And Jesus's reply was that it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, heaven opened up and the spirit of God came down like a dove, kind of like lit him up and said, like a big thundering voice said, this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased. So lots already happening in the book of Matthew. Okay, uh, Matthew 4, Jesus was led by the spirit to the wilderness to be tempted. This lasted 40 days and 40 nights and the tempter we know is the devil. So this is like a really, really good passage to remember. This is like kind of what inspires Lent, I believe, where he was tempted for 40 days and you're abstaining for 40 days and like getting ready for um, uh, Easter, I believe. So, um, so he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And so he was hungry, obviously, by the end of that time. And the tempter told him to turn stones into bread. 
And Jesus' reply was, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil takes him to the high point of a temple and said, throw yourself down. He will command his angels and they will lift you up in their hands. And then Jesus said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, so like that cult that I've read about this cult that like will get bitten by snakes just to prove that God will heal them. That is one of these things where it's do not put your Lord God to the test. You should not be purposely trying to throw yourself off a cliff or getting bit by snakes to test that he will heal you. Um, then the devil showed him all this land and said, look, basically, like, look at all this land and all this I'll give to you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan. So, um, I thought this was interesting because part of the devil's temptations was quoting scripture back to Jesus. Like the thing where he said, yeah, he will catch you. And if you throw yourself off this mountain, he will catch you and he won't let your foot strike a stone. You know, the devil knows scripture also, just like it says that Jesus knows, I mean, that demons know who Jesus is. The devil is aware of who Jesus is. But, you know, if you are not, if you don't know the word like inside and out, people can use the word of God to like pervert it and do things that are not of God, if that makes sense. That is a perfect example where he's like, throw yourself off because God said this. And Jesus obviously knows like God himself is God. And so he knows what the truth is. But if we are so easily deceived and we don't know the word like that, then you could be like, okay, yeah, he did say that he wouldn't let my foot hit a stone. Like, I, I guess he's right. Let me throw myself off the cliff really quick. So anyway, good to good reminder that we need to be in the word. Okay, then Jesus starts getting, um, or let's see, Jesus has heard John had been put in prison. And so he went to Galilee. He lived in Capernaum and filled a prophecy of, by Isaiah, which said, um, or yeah, I guess the prophecy by Isaiah was that he would go to Galilee. And then Jesus went around preaching, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, just like John the Baptist did. And then Peter and Andrew were his first disciples. They were fishermen. And then James and John were also called and they were also fishermen. And in Matthew 4, at the end of Matthew 4 is when he started um, healing people. So he performed his first miracles. Now in another book, it says that his first miracle was turning the water into wine. Um, and that's, I think, what kicked it off. But in this book, it just skips right to the part where he is healing people. So then in Matthew 5, we get into the Sermon on the Mount. I probably will do like just a quick synopsis of this and then at some point do like an actual Sermon on the Mount because it's pretty long and very, very good. Like my church did a full like eight week thing on the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm probably not going to get to all the depth of it um, in this podcast, but I will go over some of my favorite parts. So Matthew 5 is the introduction and he immediately comes out just like swinging with the Beatitudes. And I'm just going to read those. It said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, all the things that are traditionally not great, like being meek and being, um, more like mourning and poor in spirit, it, he turns them all around and says, like, you will be comforted. He, he basically is, is priming for this mindset shift of, like, the first will be last and the last will be first. Okay, then he talks about being the salt and light of the earth. Um, how, like, if you lose your salt, how can you be salty again? Um, you should be a light of the world and you should not be hidden. That's a pretty um, popular... Okay, then Jesus goes into the part where he says that he has not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but has come to fulfill them because a lot of people are accusing him of trying to abolish the law and he assured everyone that he's not. Um, then he said that, you know, you have heard that it said of people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders is selected or anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But then he said, even if you are angry with a brother or sister, you are subject to judgment. Basically, like, even if you have anger in your heart towards a person, that's similar to murder. And then he said to settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Um, do not commit adultery. And But he, then he says, anyone who has looked at a woman lustfully has already even committed adultery. So it's a lot of things like taking the old logic that people had and flipping it on their head in this new Christian way. Um, it said, anyone who is, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. Do not take oaths. And then this one is like, the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but this is where he turns it on his head, which is like, if someone hits you, turn the other cheek and offer that as well. So like, don't take revenge. God will um, handle revenge. And this is actually, I'm going to do an episode on the Amish. It's already prepped and ready to go for next week. But the Amish actually take a non-resistance stance, which means like they don't go to war. They don't take people to court. It goes into a lot of different things in life. But part of, like, that whole philosophy is inspired by that verse with the turn the other cheek. Um, and then it says, have love for your enemies. Like, he said, it's really easy to love people who love you. Even, like, evil people do that. But how hard is it to love your enemies and you are commanded to do so? He talks about, in Matthew 6, giving to the needy. Um, when you pray, don't be, like, a hypocrite. Stand out in the street corner, like... You're going to get your full reward if you, you know, are just praying for people to see. Just pray in secret between you and your father. Then he does the Our Father. So it's Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's like an example prayer. Now, Catholics say that exact thing. Actually, a lot of people say that exact thing, um, but that's like a template of a prayer. 
Um, it says when you fast, don't fast like the hypocrites do. Like don't showboat that you're fasting. Like keep yourself groomed, keep yourself together. Um, it should be done in secret again between you and your father. It says don't store up yourselves the treasures on earth where it can be destroyed. Store up yourselves treasures in heaven. Um, do not worry. Then this is another one. So this is very important. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? This is also the one where it talks about worrying cannot add a single hour to your life. Like, look at the wildflowers. They're dressed beautifully and they don't like spin and worry. Look at the sparrows. Like, they have enough. You know, God, basically God is going to take care of you. So, um, that is a really encouraging section. So I would go read that in full. If you have not, it's the end of Matthew six. Um, okay. Matthew seven, he talks about judging others. Do not judge or you too will be judged in the same way you judge others. You will be judged with the measure you use. It will be measured to you. So that is why Christians are not supposed to judge because it, that judgment is coming right back. Um, this is a famous, chapter where it says like don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own like take care of yourself first don't judge people and then after the plank is out of your own eye you can help someone else um most of the sermon on the mount is like really famous but this is another one ask seek knock ask and it will be given to you knock and the door will be opened um for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened um, he talks about how the father is so loving and gracious that he would never like, you can never ask him for something good and he would give you something terrible. Like he will take care of you. A lot of this is how God takes care of us. Um, then he talks about how the way to the Lord is narrow and to enter through the narrow gate instead of the wide gate. Uh, he says to watch out for false prophets. There's going to be false, um, Let's see. Oh, I lost my place really quick. Hold on. <laughs> my thing bounced to Matthew 7. Okay, so he talks about false prophets, true and false disciples, and then talks about wise and foolish builders, how foolish builders build on sand, um, and they fall because they didn't build their foundation on a rock. So people who, let's see, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, its streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a crash. So that is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, great to read, like, pretty often. It's like, it's just very convicting, I feel like, in a lot of parts. So it's really good to read. Okay, Matthew 8, uh, a man with leprosy came and said, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. And then he said to not tell anyone, which is always confusing to me. He said to not tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest as a testimony. Then a centurion, who was like the commander of an army, said to, uh, came and said, my servant lies at home paralyzed. Jesus was going to go to the house, but then he said, hey, there are men under me. They take my orders same way. I have faith that even if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus was, was very impressed with his faith and healed the servant. 
Next, Peter's mother-in-law was healed of a fever, and many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus and driven out, or the spirits were driven out. Um, so let's see. So then a man comes to him and says that he wants to follow Jesus, but first he has to go bury his father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, which is kind of shocking. Like it makes Jesus kind of seem heartless, but it's true. Like the statement is just the fact that you cannot value your own family over Jesus. Um, Jesus is like obviously the number one priority. So if, if you're like, oh, I'm, I want to follow you, but I have to go do this. I have to follow you, but this is my first priority. That's not what Jesus demands of us. Okay, then Jesus got on a boat and a storm came up and everyone was saying, save us, save us. We're going to drown. Um, basically like, why are you not helping? And Jesus immediately rebukes them and says, you have little faith. He rebukes the storm and it was calm. And they say, okay, this guy is legit. He's the Messiah because even the winds and the waves will obey this man. Two demon-possessed men were then healed and their spirits were sent into pigs. The pigs ran off a cliff and pleaded, um, and everyone in the town like pleaded Jesus to leave their town because their pigs just got killed. But it showed the power of Jesus and the fact that he's healing a lot of people and people know that he's legit, but sometimes that is kind of disruptive to the town. Okay, Matthew 9, a paralyzed man was lying on a mat and was brought to Jesus um, and said, take heart, your sins are forgiven. The teachers of the law then saw this and said, you know, this guy is blaspheming. And I don't even know if they said it or they were thinking it because Jesus said, like, he knew their evil thoughts and said, is it easier that your sins are forgiven or to say to get up and walk? So the paralyzed man was immediately healed, got up and walked. And, um, you know, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees at this point are really nervous because again, like this guy is showing that he is legit. These are like false teachers of the law and they're going to start trying to trap him here. So then Matthew, who is a tax collector. And in that day, tax collectors were like seen as very, very evil. They would like, I think cheat people out of their money and stuff. He was added as a disciple, which was very confusing because a lot of people hated tax collectors, thought they were, again, so evil that if this guy's the Messiah, everyone was expecting him to hang out with, like, the teachers of the law. So why is he hanging out with tax collectors? Um, and that fulfilled a prophecy that sinners and tax collectors would eat with him. Um, and so people started calling out, like, you know, you come, but why are all the people you hang around like evil? And Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Then he was challenged about fasting and said, oh, how come you and your crew don't ever fast? And Jesus replied with, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. But for now, it's time to celebrate and not fast. Okay, and then also in this chapter, the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years uh, went and touched Jesus's robe and he healed her because he said, your faith has healed her. A girl was brought back to life. He um, healed eyes, like he healed it. He, well, healed it. He healed blinded eyes and the mute. And then the Pharisee said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons which doesn't make any sense or like accusing him of being demonic 
Okay, Matthew 10, Jesus calls the 12 disciples and gives them the authority to heal and drive out impure spirits. He said, go to the lost sheep of Israel, freely give what you have received, um, and go out. So he commissions them to go out. He said, whatever town you go to, stay with someone there. If you're not welcome, get, get up and leave, dust your feet off. No big deal. Um, he said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as dove doves be on your guard you will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues so he's talking about how they're going to be hated because of him and but you know take heart because this is the message that will change the world so they are on commission now matthew 11 john was in prison and asked jesus if he was the messiah because like i think it started hitting him like he's in prison he's about to die and he said okay are you the actual messiah and Jesus sent back word that said, blind see, the lame walk, leprosy is cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed. So John the Baptist knows, like, he is the real deal. Jesus spoke about John the Baptist, the, who was the greatest prophet, and that he is the Elijah that was to come. So if you remember, like, John the Baptist was talking about how, like, he said, you know, I'm leading the way for me. There's an Elijah that's going to come after me. And Elijah was a great prophet. But it was a metaphor, and Jesus is that Elijah. So then they accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard because he came eating and drinking. John came not eating or drinking, and they accused him of being demonic, so you really can't win. They're just going to hate Jesus. Um, and then Jesus denounces cities where miracles were performed, and they didn't repent. So this is an interesting thing, like... I heard this sermon that talked about how, like, basically a lot of people say, oh, if I saw miracles, if I saw a sign, um, I would believe. Well, even in the Bible, a lot of people saw these miracles and didn't believe. And these are real places and real people and real things. And they saw these miracles and they still didn't believe. So it's like, if you don't have enough faith, you're, pro you're not, probably not going to have enough faith even if you saw an actual miracle in front of your eyes. Because a lot of people did. And we're not that different from the people who lived back then, like, a lot of people saw miracles and still did not repent. Okay, Matthew 12, Jesus and the disciples went to fields on the Sabbath and were hungry and picked some heads of wheat. And the Sadducees and Pharisees came and accused him, like, why are you picking food on the Sabbath? That's against the Sabbath. And he said, haven't you read what David did when his companions were hungry? They entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not unlawful for them to do. And they said, um, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So he's like, this is okay because we're eating. This is like the Sabbath is made for us, not us for the Sabbath. Jesus healed a man with shriveled with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath, and then the Pharisees wanted to kill him because of that. Jesus healed a blind and mute demon-possessed man, and the Pharisees think he's the prince of demons. And, and Jesus said, how could the prince of demons throw out demons? A house divided or a kingdom divided will not stand. So he's talking about, like, why would the devil throw out the devil from someone else? Um, and this is where he talks about the one unforgivable sin, which is the slander of the Holy Spirit, which is panicky a little bit when I 
read this because I've read this before and then you just kind of like put it out of your mind but I read it again and I was like oh my gosh they said like whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit um, will never be forgiven and I did some research on this and most thing like articles agree that this is like for right now at the for Christians now this is like an end of your life decision where you have not come to repent and not um, accepted Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God into your heart. Um, so it can't really be done today. Some people say it can't be duplicated today at all and some think, it, think it's like an end of life thing. So I'll link some uh, resources below so you can go read up on that. But overall, like if you're a Christian, it sounds like this cannot be committed. This sin is cannot be committed. Um, the Pharisees want a sign, like after they've had so many signs and Jesus said, oh, you asked for a sign, like Jonah was in the fish for three days and nights, so Jesus will be in the heart of the earth. And he basically says, like, that's the only sign you're going to get. Like, you're not going to get more. I will be dead and then raised to life. Matthew 13... It says, after the Pharisees' denunciation of Jesus, Jesus starts with parables. So, so they start, actually, the Pharisees are, like, now completely against him. He starts speaking in parables because the people that will understand will get it, and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees will not understand. So, the parable of the sower is, there is, the farmer sows seed, and some of them falls on a path. Wow, that was not proper English. Um... So there's a farmer who sows his seed like around. Some of it falls on a path and birds come eat it up. Some of it falls on rocky soil or on rocky ground and there's no soil. It sprouted quickly because it was shallow, but then got scorched in the sun and had no root. The seeds are among, uh, some seeds were among the thorns and got choked by plants. And then some fell on good soil and produced a good crop. It says, whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. It says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear. So one of the people that I really like, Jordan Peterson, he talks about this a lot. And he talks about how, like, this is a principle that is seen a lot in life. And it kind of makes sense. Like, if you have a lot, you can invest your money and make even more money. If you don't have a lot... You can't get that initial step to go make more and so it won't be compounded like that so it's like every if you have or to those who have much will be given to those who do not have even more will be taken away so this is that principle and he's relating it to like the pharisees and the sadducees so they don't have the understanding of God. And so now they can't understand the parable. So even what they have is going to be taken away. They can't understand the word of God with Jesus right there. But the people who have been given an understanding of what this means, they get even richer and deeper knowledge. So obviously that parable, which I didn't actually explain, is like the farmer... And so it sees the birds came and it didn't take root. So the birds came and ate it. That's like the devil coming to take it. Um, the one spreading quickly is like as soon as anything bad happens, they're washed away because their roots aren't deep. And then the seeds among the thorns is like um, they're getting choked out by the devil. So the thing there is to make your heart 
like good fertile soil for the word and to not let these bad things take root in your life. Okay, so then there's a parable of the weeds, which is a farmer sowed good seeds and enemy sowed seeds in the same field. And the only way to separate them is to cut them all down and separate them at the end, which is how basically the end times are going to be where everyone is like, quote, cut down and harvested. And then like half will go, half will be good and half will be bad. The parable of the mustard seed and the yeast is a small seed. It's like even this tiny little mustard seed, which is like one of the smallest seeds, becomes this huge tree for birds to perch on. Um, and like the tiniest of yeast makes a big bread rise. So it's like your tiny faith can do huge things. The parable of treasure and pearl. Um, this basically means that people will sell everything they have for the kingdom of God. It's like... Um, the parable of the treasure and the pearl is that there's a man who finds treasure in his land and so he sells everything that he has to go buy that land because it's so valuable and that's like what the gospel is it's so valuable you should be able you should want to sell everything to give up anything to have this treasure um and then the parable of the net is catching fish there's good and bad fish it's just like the parable of the weeds where it's like cut down and separated at the end that's how it'll be in the end times and then jesus goes back to his hometown and he's not accepted in his hometown and um there was a prophecy that a prophet will not get any honor um in his hometown like he'll get honor other places but not in his hometown because they're like who is it this guy was a carpenter like we grew up with him He's not the Messiah. Um, so this was prophesied that he would not get any honor in his hometown. And that brings us to halfway through Matthew. And this is becoming a quite a long podcast. So I'm going to cut it off here and do a part two on Thursday, just because it's such a meaty <laughs> uh, section of scripture. And so there will be another one coming out on Tuesday with part two of the book of Matthew. I really hope you enjoy the episode. I am in Michigan right now. That's why I'm kind of talking quietly. I'm like upstairs in, in this room recording. So um, it's a great time. It snowed the other day and we are looking all Christmassy here. So I'm having a good time. I will see you on Thursday and um, have a merry, very merry lead up to Christmas. I will see you later. Bye everyone.